Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our live Texan Saints postgame show. We're a little late today. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. He had some obligations with Sports Radio 610. So uh, just to let you know, and Sean, it, it wasn't pretty. This game was not pretty, but the Texans get the W and that matches last year's win total. Just six games in the season. Unbelievable. Not a pretty win, but it's a win. And we said that a lot into the Bill O'Brien era. And when you talked about ugly wins, I'll take this kind of an ugly win over any ugly win the Texans had in the Bill O'Brien era. Maybe I just have a, uh, uh, you know, bad memory bank uh, from that era, but I'm not going to complain at all about what I saw today. Um, uh, The Texans got it done against the team again for the second straight week. They should have beaten this time on their home turf came up short last week, but no matter how, how it turned out, they got the dub. That's what's most important. Hey, Jay's telling us that he is out at Minute Maid Park for game one. So we will have a live post Astros post game later on. So uh, you got to stay tuned for that one too, Jay, later tonight. And that will be right after the game, me and Steven. Um, And I just want to remind all of you guys that are out there, get in the comments. We want to hear from you. We'll unpack it possession by possession. First Texans possession, Sean. A couple of first downs, drive ends with Mike Boone. Not the best job of picking up a stunt on his block, but Saints first possession, they drive into field goal range. They miss a 52-yard field goal. Then Texans with the ball back. Stroud throws his first interception, and that's where I want to pick this up, Sean, because Nico saves the day, punches the ball loose. Titus recovers it. But even when Sean throws it, even Sean, when he throws an interception, when Stroud does, the Texans get the ball and a first down. Stroud just living right, I guess, this year. This is like the second best way you could maybe throw an interception. <laughs> and I, I was thinking like, all right, maybe it's the best way. Cause did the Texans actually gain yardage off of this thing uh, after the punch out by Nico? I don't, I don't recall. Um, but the, the best way I had in my mind coming into this game and really every game that we've been talking about, Oh, CJ, no interceptions is all right. Hail Mary at the end of a half, it's picked in the end zone and there's nothing the offense, the opposing offense can do about it. You know? Um, this is like maybe the next best way to that. It was, it was really fantastic. And I thought, you know, listening to CJ Stroud speak at the podium after this one about that interception immediately after it happened. Uh, and he kind of joked about it too. Like he had something to do with Nico being able to punch it out. Like he went for the tackle, <laughs> maybe like a little bit and put him in position, but he was like, nah, it's all Nico. Um, I thought it was cool because immediately, the Texans offensive line said, hey, let's go. We got you. It's over. It's done. He looked over to the sideline, he'd said, and D'Amico was seeing if, what CJ's reaction was. And after the fact, uh, CJ said, yeah, D'Amico looked at me. I looked at him, and D'Amico was just like, yeah, he's got it. He's good. So that was pretty cool. So the Texans get a second. Life Stroud to Noah Brown. Big play down to the four. They finish off the TD drive on the pass to Schultz. Not a perfect throw by Stroud, but the key, Sean, is, you know, how do you react after an interception? CJ puts it right behind him and goes down for a touchdown. Looked like he just wasn't even bothering him at all. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was uh, that was that was pretty impressive um, uh, just to be able to just throw that away, trash that interception, move it along. And again, no matter how you did it, 
Um, the Texans, look, their run game was working in the first half. Uh, how about Devin Singletary, by the way? Uh, maybe no, not no. a Robert Land fan favorite, which I'm sure we'll get to, but they were able to get the ball down the field using him a little bit. And then Dalton Schultz for the second straight week, uh, big-time target for Stroud and the Texans. And uh, props to Slowick. you got to give him a tip of the cap, too. Early in the game, one of the things I noticed was the offensive line was doing a fantastic job. Run, pass blocking. We're going to get to the running in just a second. But next Saints possession, Steven Nelson drops an interception when Shahid and Carr are just not on the same page. That hurt because Shahid immediately catches a 34-yard touchdown pass. So Nelson beats him, or he beats Nelson on that crossing pattern to get the touchdown. So you know, it's one of those real frustrating things for Nelson because this is a 14-point swing. Nelson had to die for that pick, Sean, but there was nobody near him. So he might have had time to get up and run it all the way back. Instead, it's just boom, boom, touchdown. I think he did. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to Andre Ware on the radio play-by-play, and he was just beside himself. And then after, you know, going back and looking at it again, Steven Nelson, if he makes that interception – um, he, he makes it into the end zone, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I, just, I don't, I don't think there's any question about it. It was just, oh my gosh, here we go again, because it was literally two plays later, bam, strike into the end zone. And it's, that was that feeling of, oh boy, same old Texans, not being able to step on the throat in a particular instance and have it come back and bite you like that. Um, to me, you know, having a swing play like that really on two consecutive possessions where, you know, you're Stroud, you throw the interception, boom, you get the ball back, boom, touchdown. You have a chance to pick a ball off, like easy money, take it to the house, and then they give it right back to you, score seven themselves. It was the resiliency, man, by Stroud, by the defense, um, a, a real collective effort. And, you know, let's not forget about special teams today. I thought they all played – uh, really tremendous football today, and it was necessary to get a win like this. Yeah, special teams definitely played a factor on both sides of the ball. We're going to get to the other side later in the show, but next Texans possession, keep playing the drive on a third and four, the Saints blitz. Stroud, tough throw to Nico at the 12, who's well covered, but as good as this throw was, Nico's catch, not shabby either. And Sean, got to give the Saints defense credit Great coverage on third down, forcing a field goal. But I was still pumped after that throw by Stroud. It's just one of those throw, another one of those like situations, Sean, where you go, man, this guy, he's just got it. It's the game within the game. Uh, you know, there's special play. Look, the Texans made a lot of really impressive plays today on drives that ended up stalling out, you know, whether it be a run uh, or CJ Stroud extending and making a throw like that particular uh didn't didn't stall out but you know they didn't get six or seven on the board um it's just those are really impressive because when you when the texans can put it all together you know what cj stroud's capable of but now i think again if you weren't a believer before in nico collins you better be now because this guy is under bobby slowick's offensive scheme utilizing almost perfectly his 6'4", 250-pound frame. Big target, cut across the field, can beat guys with his feet. But most importantly, once he makes that catch, it's what he's doing after. The tough catches through contact, getting the yak. Um, Nico Collins, if, if that dude, 
knock on wood for everybody in H-Town, man, if he can stay healthy, he is in line for a gigantic year. Yeah, Noel asked about Will Anderson, the defensive line. I got some thoughts, and we'll get to that a little bit later on the show, so stay tuned. But Texans D then forces a three and out, leads to another long Texans drive, most of it really due to a running attack that it's the story, really, of the first half. Eight straight running plays from Pearson Singletary. Couldn't run it in, but who cares because Stroud to Woods on the TD pass. And, Sean, just two major observations from the running game today. The O-line, really good. But I thought the bats were just much more patient. Singletary and Stroud, I thought, did a better job picking holes. And more importantly, changing their pace, waiting for openings to appear, not just, you know, get the ball and run as hard as I can straight into the line and, you know, whatever daylight that you see. I just thought that was a real that's – that's been a complaint of mine, really, this year with the running backs. It's just I didn't feel like they were getting enough out of what they had. I can't wait to go back and look at uh, some of the run plays and see why they were successful if, in fact, it was a combination maybe of being more patient or if guys were just getting to their landmarks. Um, Because after looking at the film from the Falcons game, I mean, it was just blatant guys not blocking, not picking up their blocks. Maybe the offensive, uh, the offense asking guys like Tank Dell to be a little unrealistic in being able to reach some blocks, you know, whether it be crashing down on a safety or uh, pushing a linebacker out or asking, you know, a lineman to, climb up to the second level and, and reach a linebacker that's just impossible. I can't wait to go back and see it. I don't have Pierce's numbers in front of me. They're probably not as good as he ran. Um, I thought, again, he, he seemed to run closer to the Damian Pierce that we saw. Just, again, maybe some decisions that I noticed, like, just go. Go with your gut instinct. Don't worry about the cutback. Be more patient and wait for that block to open up. Um, that one cut and go, Pierce, that we got so used to seeing last year, I, I still haven't seen it consistently. But I think the real success, especially in the first half, because the Saints made the adjustments in the second half, came down to how Bobby Slowick was using the combination of Pierce and Singletary. And that might be a recipe for success going forward, at least until maybe Damien's able to get a little bit more comfortable. This is maybe a huge week upcoming for Damian Pierce because he's got six games where he could sit back with himself and Danny Barrett and figure out exactly what he thinks he's seeing, how patient he thinks he's being on the field, and has a good week to make an adjustment uh, coming out of the bye. Maybe couldn't come at a better time for the Texans, which typically get one around week eight, nine, or ten in the regular season, it seemed like, for the last two decades. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing and reviewing this. Yeah, a couple of things. Damian Pierce had 13 carries for 34 yards. It doesn't sound good, but no. remember he had those two oh, runs right near the goal line where he was stuffed or lost yardage, not Pierce's fault in those situations. Like that one goal line uh, just stand that the Saints made, um, kind of pushing him back. The Texans end up getting a touchdown on that, but still uh, he lost some yardage there. Hey, real quick, real, yeah. real quick, since we're talking about this possession where they just ran the hell out of the ball, especially with Singletary getting some chunky plays, that touchdown pass, this was maybe the most impressive throw that C.J. Stroud made today for me, threading two defenders to find Robert Woods in the end zone. Two things here. 
One, C.J. Stroud, why he was able to open that lane up, did it with his eyes again. And we've seen it time after time. But I don't care how old Robert Woods is. I don't care how long he's been around. That dude runs damn near perfect routes almost every time. And I know there was a few miscommunications uh, with them today. He probably should have had a couple of three more catches than he did, maybe even another touchdown. But that was another example of the pro that Robert Woods is. You know, the miscommunication, sometimes that's a receiver not seeing what a safety's doing on a particular route where he should have maybe sat down or, uh, you know, pivoted to a dig, pivoted to a corner instead of a go, whatever the case may be. Um, those are communications that can be fixed. And I think if it's CJ, it, it will. But I, I thought a really impressive throw and catch by Robert Woods on that touchdown there. Yeah, and it was brought up in the broadcast. They were showing a tight shot of C.J. Stroud's eyes, and you could see as the play's un, uh, uh, developing or unraveling yeah. or whatever you want to call it, you know, you saw C.J. boom, boom. You saw him go four or five different directions, and they were explaining how he was moving guys with his eyes, not on that particular play, but another one. Uh, B. Wall says Tunsil had his hands full with Granderson today. Yes, I think overall Tunsil played well. We're going to talk about when he got got by Granderson a little bit later. But Saints put together a two-minute drill for a field goal. An intentional grounding helps kill the drive. Texans got some breaks. The Saints were shooting themselves in the foot. But Shaq Griffin, good coverage on third down to the end zone. And, and that sort of was the, the end of that. They had to settle for the field goal. The Texans, though, 97 yards rushing in the half, 120 for the game. You know, you just you, you just you want to see it more, Sean, than one half, though. They got to put it together for more than one half. But there was at least a little bit of fight at the end of the running game tunnel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like it. I just um, you have to respect the Saints defense who coming in, you know, had a top 10 uh, rushing defense. Um, it, it was it was more than respectable. I mean, they did their job at the break to adjust and figure out um, you know, what, what was working for them. And so I got to give them props. It's just, uh, you know, the game within the game, you know, Bobby Slowick and Danny Barrett, you know, their running back coach, they got to be able to figure it out as well. Chris Strauss, their offensive line coach, once the opposition makes that adjustment, okay, what can we do next? How can we continue to get this going and, get these lengthy drives working more in our favor instead of putting our defense in a situation where their backs are against the wall. And I think, again, you know, it's a young team, you know, respectively with some young, uh, a young coordinator. I mean, to me, these things, they're encouraging because you were able to, you know, have a really successful first half on the ground. You did some good things in the past game as well. Um, it's, it's consistency. Is, it's a build. Sometimes it's a slow build, but as long as it's a build, I think that's what we're seeing with the Texans. And so that's the encouraging part. Keep throwing your comments out there. We will continue to the third quarter. A lot of offense. No, not a lot of offense. And, and early in the third quarter, Texans get a Malik Collins and Grenard Sack on a third down blitz. Good job with D'Amico with the call, causing some confusion up front. Texans offense goes three and out. Saints offense with a three and out. Worth noting, Will Anderson lining up on the other side and getting a tackle for a loss on that particular play on that three and out. And Sean, I'm wondering, you know, we, and, and Noel mentions this. He says, how are y'all grading Will Anderson? Stats don't tell the story of the opportunities, providing his defensive linemen, occupying double teams. 
Uh, someone's not feasting when they should be. And there are stats that show uh, that Will Anderson is playing well. But I just thought it was interesting that D'Amico moved him to the other side on that particular. And I'm wondering, might that be a way to get him going a little bit, just make him a little bit more unpredictable? Maybe. I mean, I think that's the way to get the Texans defense going, make them a little bit more unpredictable, show different looks. when you have an athlete like Will Anderson who could, you know, uh, be effective on both edges, depending on the matchups, you know, maybe even a little bit on the interior. Uh, I, I would just do anything with him. And D'Amico's alluded to that uh, a couple of times this season already, that they've got no problem moving him all around. It's just I don't know that we'd seen as much of that. Now, maybe it's a matchup thing. Because it's not just about him. If you're looking for a more favorable matchup for Will Anderson, sometimes it's going to mean a less favorable matchup for somebody else. You have to take that into account. But I think on the surface, you know, with, with the, the the texter, you know, on the show said about, hey, somebody ain't feasting on that line that probably should be. You're probably right. And I have to believe we should be seeing a little bit more production from the interior linemen, guys like Sheldon Rankins. Um, you know, who who look had, had a pretty solid game today. He's been maybe one of the most solid defensive linemen uh, for the Texans. Uh, the same regard that, that Shaq Mason's been for the Texans offensive lineman. He's been like Mr. Consistent, has been there, has probably seen the most snaps out of anybody. Um, and you would just kind of expect to see more production in terms of the numbers. But I asked Will Anderson a couple times over the last few weeks about just executing the fundamentals because it was something that uh, Matt Burke mentioned uh, three weeks ago to me where he was like, you know, we want to try to get away from the and one kind of plays, as he put it, you know, where you get the fancy spin moves and swim moves and the rip throughs and, you know, you're flying to the backfield trying to get to the quarterback, but is that really beneficial to what we're doing for the rest of the line? They talk about rushing together. And I think Will Anderson has done a, a really good job of doing hits and rushing together with the line. To me, at some point, the numbers are going to show, whether it be quarterback hits, more TFLs, and more sack numbers going up for Will Anderson because as they kind of grow this continuity as a defensive line, somebody's going to feast. And nine times out of ten, it's the dude with the most athletic ability, and that's Will Anderson. And I'm going to tease you. I've got some defensive line numbers that at least show up a little bit in the box score. We're going to go to that a little bit later. But next, Texans possession, Stroud to Schultz on a big 30-yard-plus pass play inside the 20. Nico draws a pass interference in the end zone, but Schultz misses a block on a Pierce run, losing three yards. I don't want to get too much on Schultz because he made some good blocks in this game as well. But on third down, Stroud feels a Saints pass or a Saints push on the outside as he's trying to throw. And here, Sean, he's backed up in the pocket instead of climbing it, making him go 25 yards backwards. Still nearly hit a wide open Robert Woods in the back of the end zone. And yeah, he was wide open in the back of the end zone. Crazy play. It was poor execution on first and goal from the one overall. But, you know, it's just a lot of weird stuff happened there. And it, there was just a lot of like this. This game felt like it should have been a blowout with all these near misses. It did. But, you know, that was that was a play that was broken almost from jump, as you mentioned, you know, forcing Stroud way the heck back there. I mean, that would have been a 50-yard attempt if he, if he takes a sack back around the 30-yard line. 
uh, wherever he was, 29, 31, whatever it was. But as close as Stroud and Woods were to hooking up, the fact that they even got close after that was something. Now, Stroud and Woods talked immediately after that play. And Stroud was anticipating Woods to do something else, and he was late to make up for it. So, again, you know, there's little miscommunications right there, even on broken plays. They practice this. Even on broken plays, you're anticipating your receiver to do one thing, and they do another, and that that can maybe mean the difference. Now, I, I don't look at it. You know, I look at those things kind of like on a surface level, like, well, hell, I'm just – we're lucky that Stroud didn't throw another pick there and completely kill that drive. Um, I'm not going to, you know, quibble over, man, that ball missed Woods by like a half yard. It was that close after such a, a fiasco to start. You wipe it clean and you get points at the end of the day. That was the main thing because that, those are plays, Robert, especially with the young quarterback. How many young quarterbacks or even one able to make that attempt, but then two, Get away with it scot-free and still put your team in position to get three points on the board. Absolutely. So the Saints long drive on their next drive, but a holding penalty and a fantastic Sheldon Rankins sack force a Saints field goal. Rankins also, speaking of the defensive line, two tackles for loss and six tackles overall. You mentioned him, big game for him. So next, Texans possession. It's three and out because Stroud was sacked for the first time and 117 pass plays. This is like three and a half games. Stroud held the ball too long. That was a fault. It wasn't an offensive line issue, but that streak just, Sean, it's amazing because the streak is, you, you got to factor in, it's a revolving O-line, rookie quarter. I mean, all this stuff. It's just crazy. Yeah, what is this? Uh, it's for the second time this season, the Texans have had the same offensive line in back-to-back weeks. So, I mean, through six games, it's, not terrible, <laughs> but you had, you know, four different offensive lines, I believe it is, uh, in six games still, no matter how you break it. It's uh, it's a credit to uh, Chris Strauser. It's a credit to Coach Popovich, the assistant offensive line coach, to Bobby Slowick, I think, 1-1A, one one to be honest with you. And we saw that really um, in week two, Slowick's ability to adjust in the second half against the Colts. Still took Stroud, I think, three sacks in the second half, but it could have been far worse. Their quick pass game got going, and then we saw it pay dividends in week three. And then here we are in week six, and it's working beautifully. Um, I think Stroud was probably feeling like, damn, you know, we missed an opportunity the last possession. And then here we come, allow the Saints to go boom, 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 boom. I've got to make a play. I got to make a play. And Stroud has said that a couple of times this year, even when he was getting sacked within the first couple of games and hit all the time, when he was taking 11 sacks and 19 quarterback hits, he's like, I want to make a play so bad every time I touch the ball. He just has to kind of realize that that's not going to happen. Sometimes making the play is making the smart play and throwing the ball away. And I, I think, again, today's yeah. good little learning uh, a learning experience for him where he can go back and look at the film and say, like, yeah, you know what? I should have just threw the ball away and then set up for the next down. The story for the Texans' defense, next drive. Again, bend but don't break. Bend but don't break. They do it again. Cashman and Petrie, good coverage on a back-of-the-end zone throw. Then the Saints 
misses chip shot field goal. And Sean, this defense can't always shut teams down. But one thing they've done is they've done a nice job forcing field goal attempts the last few weeks. Hey, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody in H-Town, tip your hat to Mark Vandermeer because he jinxed that one. Uh, <laughs> field goal, he, said, he said, well, this should be no problem for uh, however the hell you say the Saints kicker's name, groupie or group, whatever. And, you know, really built it up and just let it breathe a little bit. And then he was like, oh, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, that was just one of those beautiful things where it's like, man, finally something rolls the Texans way. And uh, hey, look, it was it was earned because I say that I, I felt like there were some defensive plays today that just didn't go the Texans way uh, from from Shaq Griffin, uh, you know, to what that defensive line was doing. I felt like they could have gotten to Carr a little bit more. But early in this game, uh, the Saints offensive line, and I can't remember uh, one fella, he was getting away with a ton of holds. Uh, I think it was the left guard. Or the left tackle, I believe it was. They were getting away with a ton of holds. I mean, Anderson probably could have had a sack. Grenard probably could have had another one. Um, and I just thought it was karma working uh, in, in the best way possible for the Texans in that instance. Next possession, Stroud takes another sack. Beck and Tunsil combine not to block Granderson. That's the play I was talking about before. Tunsil got a little got on that play. It was just shocking to me that this guy got around both both of them. It looked like Tunsil had him inside, and then he just goes right around it, and that screws up that drive. Then the Saints get that incredibly frustrating play where Nelson mistimes a jump ball potential interception. Nelson, his second game-changing missed opportunity, but the Texans D does it again, backs against the wall, fourth down, Shaq Griffin and Blake Cashman, huge open field tackle on Alvin Kamara and that screen pass, maybe the play of the game for the defense. And Sean D'Amico said it in the post game: we won the red zone. Yeah, they did, right? Two red zone touchdowns today, and uh, the New Orleans Saints had to settle for field goals. Now, they gave up chunky plays, which this defense hadn't, you know, done really since week two, I believe, uh, against Anthony Richardson and the Colts. But, yeah, it's – it's it's what we kind of just talked about earlier being look the Texans two weeks in a row from that Steelers win played some of the most comp, best complimentary football that I can remember seeing really any team play. I mean, it was just kind of a thing of beauty uh, and they follow it up the next week, you know, in Atlanta with with some good complimentary football, good football, um, just they, they didn't have enough, right? Today, I thought good complimentary football again, and the Texans were able to get it done because of the success in the red zone, because of better tackling, because of better coverage. I think if the Texans had this arsenal of their secondary last week in Atlanta, it may not even be a close game, dude. Like, we're, we're not talking about a 21-19 loss. We might be talking about a 27-17 to you know 17 victory or something, and you win in pretty handily. I just... I am so impressed with Shaq Griffin. And I know he had a couple of calls go against him today. The second one I thought was just complete BS. Um, just a little ticky-tack hold uh, call on him that, that ate up some chunk yardage for the Saints. But I think aside from that, man, Shaq Griffin is playing his butt off. The dude's healthy as can be. Hopefully, knock on wood, I know he's just coming off of the calf. But this team is really trending in the right direction. It's just they're doing something different well. 
every week. And when they put it all together, man, this is going to be one hell of a fun football team to watch. So let's get to that final couple of uh, possessions. And the Texans trying to put it away. The penalty gets them to midfield, but the Saints D forces a punt with about 241 left. That leaves a hold your breath final drive for the Saints. And I'm holding my breath the whole time. Third and fourth down, D'Amico brings pressure after they move the ball down the field again. Steven Nelson finally gets the interception on fourth down that he missed twice <laughs> earlier in the game. Yeah. So he gets his comeuppance. And Sean, you talk about Griffin before, but I just can't say enough about the coverage all day. Nelson, Griffin, Ward, Cashman. I mean, I could name everybody. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's uh, that's a huge testament to, you know, guys like Dino Vasso and uh, uh, their other secondary coaches names slipping my mind. Uh, Adagoki, uh, they've they've really, really, um, you know, hit the film room. I had a chance to catch up with Adagoki and uh, Vasso last week. They made the assistant coaches available and they said, man, they've been working their butt off on the film room. Just the finer details. And you can kind of hear that. It kind of seeps through to the players and what they talk about. I think you heard it again today in some of the post-game commentary from D'Amico Ryans and certainly C.J. Stroud and what he observed from the Texans defensively. It's just the small attention details. And you know what? Call me crazy, but I really think Stroud and his attention to detail, his wanting to be perfect, he is a perfectionist. I think it's rubbing off on a lot of these guys, whether it be older or younger uh, on this team. I, I just think what the quarterback does when they're successful, when they show no fear, when they have the poise and the composure and the trust and the belief in the rest of the teammates, and everybody comes to eat them. And everybody just wants to play a little bit harder. And it's so true. You're like, ah, that's just coach talk. No, it's not. I mean, it, it gives you a little bit more juice. You know, you're just you're going to put yourself on the line a little bit more. Um, when you thought you had 100% going on before, you find the way to get that extra. And I, I think you're seeing that. And that's so huge, man. I mean, right, go, back to go back to last year. Go back to last year. Man, this Texans defense, there were guys running wide open all over the field multiple times a game. Yeah. We saw this over and over and over again. That practically never happens. Look at the roster. Yeah, Jimmy Ward's there. He's different. He's missed a game or two. Um, but the rest of these guys, Steven Nelson, uh, Jalen Petrie, some of these guys were they were there last year. The, the linebacking core hasn't improved dramatically that we noticed. And now it's different. It's just different. And that's Tobico. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, too? It's it's one thing to play zone coverage um, and, and, you know, have the mentality to, you know, keep everything underneath, which, you know, look, you're covered too with uh, Lovey Smith last year, uh, couple that with a horrible tackling team. And look, they're not much better this year, to be quite honest with you. They were still, you know, one of the top three worst tackling teams coming into the game today. And I think last week they were the worst team, uh, worst tackling team. But you could play zone coverage and have it be effective if you're in the right position in the zone. Um, and I think those are the things that, you know, it's it's constant film study that you have to clean up on. And to just be comfortable 
making plays. You know, like these guys are all athletes, and I think you saw that today. They can fly around and they can make plays, contest balls, maybe that they have no business. Um, and even in zone coverage, you don't have to be press man all the time to to have a chance at interceptions or uh, pass deflections and stuff like that. It can be in zone coverage, but it's how comfortable are you playing that zone coverage. And I think today you got a chance to see, like, you know what? Maybe the secondary is finally coming around to where they're, they're getting a little bit more comfortable. It's the continuity, right? How many times have we had Jimmy Ward and Jalen Petrie in the backfield together? It's only been a couple of three weeks now. The first few weeks, it was one or the other. They were both hurt. Petrie missed a couple weeks, you know, with the concussion and the corners have been in and out, you know, with Shaq, you know, playing now the last three, four weeks for Stingley, but he had to miss. He was hurt. So they had to call Holman up. It's, it's the continuity, but the more you experience these injuries where you get time with these unproven guys like Holman and, you know, whoever else they've had back there, it's going to pay dividends come week eight, week nine, week 10, and sometimes earlier when guys have already played with each other and they know what the other's thinking. They know what the other's capable of doing. They know if they need to help here or there or whatever. So I think from that regard, uh, very impressive today by the Texans secondary, especially. Tavier Thomas should be back in a couple weeks. So add him to the arsenal. And yeah. I got to talk about this defensive line again, because we mentioned Sheldon Rankins, but Jonathan Grenard, just keeps having a really good season. Three quarterback hits, half a sack. Will Anderson, couple quarterback hits. You know, you're not seeing the sacks. That's unfortunate, but he got a couple of QB hits. And Sean, oh my God, Blake Cashman. Uh, I, I, I got to just take a second. Like, what a game. 15 tackles, two for loss, a quarterback hit, two passes defense. Blake Cashman, we talked about it earlier this week. He's playing some of the best linebacking or linebacker in, in, in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say, you can't say I told you so or anything with a guy like Blake Cashman, but I just, I remember when we had him on the show last year, um, and we had him on because, look, he was just being a baller on special teams. He was their special teams ace and a Frank Ross favorite, right? Um, but after doing so much digging and now talking to, to Cash, you know, pretty regularly for the last year and a half now, um, people don't realize he was he was supposed to be a pretty damn good linebacker up in New York in Robert Sala's defense, and he just couldn't stay on the field. He was hurt all the time. I mean, he wasn't a special teams ace up there. He was just not on the field. He was dealing with hamstrings. He was dealing with ankles. He was dealing with all kinds of soft tissue stuff, quad injuries. And, you know, look, he had a hamstring earlier this year. Uh, but coming off of a year last year where I think maybe he missed a game or two or something like that uh, with a soft tissue injury, played more football games, more snaps than he'd ever had in his entire career last year, and now he's doing it at the linebacker uh, position this season. In a D'Amico Ryan's defense, probably helps a little bit, but I think we would have seen the same Blake Cashman four years ago in New York if he would have been healthy. The dude can go sideline to sideline. Um, he's, he's a freaking he's a, he's a freaking athlete, man. So I'm, I'm happy to see the success that he's having in this system and ain't nobody having more fun, uh, doing it and talking about it than him. Hopefully that health is going to continue and it rubs off on Stingley and Kenyon Green and some of the other guys that can't stay on the field. You know what CJ Stroud talked about D'Amico's impact after the game. And he said, and people got to like, listen to this for a second. He said, quote, this dude 
loves us. He understands what it is to be a player. That's the vibe I got. One thing about D'Amico is he played. Some coaches who don't understand this, uh, you know, they're, but his drive is, you know, his thing is the next drive, the next thing. Always has a smile on his face, tells me how good I'm doing. I appreciate his demeanor and positivity. And just like Bill O'Brien with that great demeanor and positivity and smile on his face all the time. No, that's not. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. That's that. That's not Bill O'Brien. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I hope the Texans continue, you know, this trend upward. Um, and I think they will. There's no reason to believe that they won't. I mean, they've got the cornerstone pieces, two of the three necessary. And that's your quarterback and your head coach. And Stroud and Ryan's maybe a third and Will Anderson. I I, I kind of believe that's the case, to be honest with you. Um, but I say that because the more you hear Stroud speak like that, the more you see it from D'Amico Ryan's. Um, man, I hope people just realize that it's not just like player talk and cliche and stuff. I mean, really think about it. D'Amico Ryan's uh, 10 years ago was balling in this league. You know, he was balling. He was a linebacker, one of the better ones in the league going, a leader on any team he would have set foot in the locker room for. And that's the player mentality. It's you have, and particularly a linebacker or a quarterback. Those two guys, maybe more than anybody else, got to flush the last play. Good, bad, or indifferent, got to flush it. And that's the mentality that I think meshes so well with, not just a young quarterback, but a young quarterback who had sneaky, hella confidence already coming in with C.J. Stroud. I mean, who knew, really, you could hear stories and all that stuff, but who knew about how battle-tested this dude already was, just from a life perspective, never mind a football perspective. I mean, the dude's talking about getting crushed this week, right, for throwing for nearly 500 yards in a loss against, uh, what was it, Oregon or Michigan, wh whichever one of the two, back in 2021. So he almost threw for 500 yards, like completion percentage of 61%, and said he was getting hated on for that performance. And he used that, like when he knew he played that good, that well, he knew he was going to get hate no matter what. And it does something to a dude's psyche when you're already trying to be perfect and you know you're going to get hated on even when you're close to it. Through one pick that game. And he's, I think that training his mind, training his demeanor, and his, building his character sets him up perfectly for this kind of a coach that is like, you know what, mistake, flush it. Who cares? You're good enough. Let's stick with it. And there was also another quote. Uh, coach Day uh, from Ohio State, uh, Stroud referenced him this past week. I think it was this week or maybe last week, but he'd said, uh, you know, Coach Day taught me something I'll never forget. And it's that I, he told me one day, I've got what it takes to not throw interceptions. And I didn't get a chance to ask the follow-up to that, but I want to know what that is. And so on Wednesday, when I get the opportunity to ask Stroud, I want to know what that is. What does that mean? Uh, now that he has, certainly, and what he can learn from that, but I just thought that was kind of fascinating when you peel back the curtain a little bit and you get inside and you start to understand the mind of Stroud, the mind of your head coach who has that player's mentality. It means a lot more, especially since it's so fresh for a guy like D'Amico versus, you know, your uh, older heads. 
All right. Next thing I wanted to ask you about was the offensive line and what yeah. they do moving forward. Because in two weeks, we we got to assume Juice Scruggs is going to be back. And I thought it was going to be a situation where you move Titus back to right tackle. But George Fant, I got to say, the guy's played great. I mean, he's he's played so great. You're like, I don't know if we should mess with him. Well, we need somebody like Titus at left guard. So in my thought, I'm looking at this going, if you want to improve the line the most with two Scruggs, just play him at center and, and go forward from there and keep the other guys the way they are. I, I just don't see how the Texans don't do this when they keep saying, we want to put the five best offensive linemen out there. I think the five best offensive linemen would be Juice Scruggs, Shaq Mason, Titus Howard, George Fant, and Larry Tunsil. It's not a bad thought, but maybe their five best are is a combination that's just not healthy yet. You know, maybe Scruggs is that guy, but maybe they don't envision him um, uh, at center. Maybe they envision him at left guard. Maybe they envision Scruggs at center and Patterson at left guard. And moving Howard back to his natural position at right tackle, we'll have to wait and see on that. But but Scruggs was first team over Jared Patterson at center, so I, I I'm assuming he's the center. And you know, like what what do you see? Like what do you think's going to happen? How's it play out in two weeks? I don't know. I was just going to throw one back at your way when uh, you said, "Man, it's working so well at right tackle." You know, why would you want to change it? Well. I mean, it was looking really good earlier this regular season when Altuve was out with a broken thumb and, <laughs> and Dubon was at second base. It's like, why would you change it? Well, one guy's Dubon, one guy's Altuve. That's why. Um, well, here's the thing, though. The difference between that situation and this situation is um, George Fant at right tackle means that Titus Howard is available to play left guard. Now, he has not played left guard all that well in the past. However, he did pretty good the last couple of games. It was not terrible the last two games with Titus Howard at left guard. If 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 Jose Altuve came back and he could play at a position where you had a somebody that was terrible or you had so many injuries, it's like made well, Jose you know, Altuve Justin Verlander's center fielder. <laughs> or, or what if Jeremy Pena was hurt and they were like, "Well, we don't have anybody else. Altuve is our best option at shortstop." We might as well, we got to leave uh, Mauricio Dubon at second base because, you know, our only option here is to put Altuve at shortstop. I'm not saying, you know, it's not super realistic, but I'm just pointing that out. This is the difference to me is not the whole idea that this is an Altuve Dubon situation. I just look at it as, you know, the injuries at left guard have left them so decimated and Fant has played so well at that position. And the difference between, Altuve and Dubon to me is way bigger of a difference than the difference oh, yeah. between Fant and Titus Howard. I had to do it. I mean, it's the closest uh, analogy that I could uh, think of that hit that would hit home. But um, I mean, if you're asking me, gun to my head, I think Titus Howard is going to move back to right tackle. Um, I think Fant is going to be, you know, the backup swing guy. And let's not forget, you know, Laramie Tunsil. He's played two weeks in a row now, but the guy ain't healthy. He's not 100%. Uh, I think the Texans are going to load manage him, and it's the week to week. Now, look, this is a big week coming up for him because there ain't no damn game next Sunday. It's bye week. So he's got a long time, you know, from a football's perspective, you know, to get those knees 
or that left knee as good as it possibly can be. So let's see what happens there. It's also a lot of time to gauge where CJ Struggs, CJ Scruggs, Juice Scruggs is at. Um, I think Scruggs is the center. I think Patterson's your left guard. I think Howard's your right tackle. If healthy, Laramie Tunsil's your left tackle, and Jack Mason stays, you know, put. That's just the way I think it's going to break out. Um, we'll see. I mean, maybe they don't like Jared Patterson at left guard now, but they certainly did during training camp. He was getting plenty of reps there uh, before, you know, he had to take over center duties when Scruggs went down. So um, we'll see. I just think, gun to my head, that's that's your offensive line. All right, a couple of comments we got to get to because uh, Moulton says that it's time to demote Pierce. He's one of the worst running backs in the league this year. Give Singletary and Boone his carries. And Sensei says uh, maybe Pierce doesn't fit this scheme. And I guess a couple of just quick observations, Sean. Number one, it's not fair to Damian Pierce to judge him with the way we've had a revolving door at the offensive line Mm -hmm. positions. The consistency hasn't been there. And it's not just that Pierce hasn't run the ball all these weeks. You know, Singletary's had his shots to do it. Other guys have had their – nobody can run the football for the Texans. Number two, scheme. The scheme – I see the Texans doing different stuff. Sometimes they're doing straight up. Sometimes it looks like zone scheme. It it, it feels like they they varied a little bit, Sean. Is that that fair that the scheme doesn't work for Damian Pierce? I mean, maybe. um, But – I mean, you're six games into a completely different scheme for Damian Pierce. Um, I, I think, you know, there should be a little bit of time to, um, you know, adjust. And I really feel like about three weeks in a row now, you're starting to see Damian run a little bit better, be more sure of himself. He just hadn't been able to put it together. I think, um, you know, look, some of the issues with the Texans run game, it, it I'm just talking about Pierce singularly. When he runs the rock, some of it is on him. Some of it, he's just not seeing the cutback lane. Some of it, uh, he's going for it too early. He's not letting the, de- the the block develop. Some of it, the offensive line stinks at blocking. Um, Beck stinks at blocking sometimes. Your slot receiver, uh, whether it be Robert Woods or Tank Dell, uh, when you're asking them to you know make a crash block on a safety or a linebacker, they stink. They're not getting to their landmark. Um, Schultz, Schultz too. Schultz Schultz has had Uh, some issues too. Schultz I was going to get to. Schultz was freaking horrible uh, two games ago and really bad last week too against the Falcons. Um, I mean, I'd have to go back and look today, but it sounds to me like Schultz found a way to get his head out of his butt and, and block a little bit, you know. Um, maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, him realizing that he's going to be more, uh, utilized in the past game. Now, maybe he's got to, you know, sell chips, you know, sell him sticking around as, as a blocker more, um, before he gets out on routes. And it goes with when he has to just be purely a run blocker, he's just got to be better. Maybe he knows that. I mean, he's still a young guy, 25, 26 years old. So, um, maybe, maybe it's, uh, helps him that he's, caught some passes recently sometimes it's like the old deal like you got to catch passes to get yourself involved in the you know you feel better about blocking once you get a couple passes your way yeah yeah maybe so i mean i i can't wait to go back and look and see the run game today and and why it worked as well as it did in the first half and then what happened in the second half um 
particularly, you know, just not Damian Pierce runs alone, but Singletary runs. Because no matter who was in the second half, it just wasn't working. I want to see what the Saints did. But, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, Terrence Simmons says, when is Derek Stingley coming back? Uh, Stingley, uh, you know, he was put on IR, correct? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's at least a four-game guy? Was he the sixth guy they put on IR? I can't remember. Because um, they only have two IR designations left. And I don't know that they utilized one for him or not. But, um, you know, with with his injury, isn't it a soft tissue injury? I'm so muddled. Yeah, right yeah. Stingley's was a hamstring injury that he got in practice in the middle of the week. You That's know, right. to say yeah. to say when Stingley's coming back, it's he he, he has know. to take four games. I think he has been out either two or three games. Three. The bye doesn't count as a game yet, so it's going to be still another probably three weeks at the at the very least. And with hamstring, I mean, there's no way that we will ever know how long this is going to take because hamstrings vary drastically. You know, we've seen that. Yeah, hamstring. I mean, you never know. Sometimes it can take freaking eight nine weeks. I mean. Um, we'll see. I just can't remember exactly what his status is, but uh, hopefully, you know, we'll learn some more uh, this week. Uh, it's on a bye week, but we'll have a chance to talk to D'Amico Ryans uh, tomorrow. Nick Casario is going to uh, speak with the media on Tuesday, so I'll be there for both of those. And um, we'll see if, uh, you know, either Ryans or Casario can provide us an update on some of those guys like Scruggs, like Stingley. Um, that, you know, could be here in the coming days or weeks, uh, be ready to be back in full with the team. Yeah, RS1 says Pierce is slower to the hole than Stingley or Singletary. And I guess my my thing with that is I just don't think either guy is, you know, it, it's not the fact that they're running slower to the hole. I just feel like they're not seeing the hole like they should sometimes. And then sometimes – they're too fast to the hole. Sometimes you got to wait a second. And, you know, in the early weeks, the holes just was, weren't there. That was Damien. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, Damien was saying, you know, uh, at least alluded to that maybe he was just getting there too fast, not being patient enough. And so he was talking about instead of lining up seven yards, maybe I need to line up about seven and a half yards back from the ball. Um, and then literally the week after he'd said that, he had his best game and I think had his first run for a first down the longest run that he'd had to that point in the season which was 10 yards at that point in time reeled off a couple 13 yarders and a 15 yarder last week since um i don't even know if he eclipsed the 10 yard run today i think he had a couple of good eight and six yard runs um but i mean you know even like a, a little three yard run for damian pierce um to be honest with you you can get three of those uh, you give the texans an opportunity to think about going forward on a fourth down like that's something Right. I mean, he hadn't even averaged three yards a carry at times this season. Damien hadn't. I don't think he did again today. Was he get like 13, 14 carries for 34 yards or something like that? Um, but I, I think it's just it's all of the above. You think Pierce is too slow. You think he's too fast. You think it's the scheme. You think it's guys just flat out not blocking. After looking at the film last week, man, I think it's just all of the above. And it's, again, back to the drawing board for Pierce and Slowick and uh, the running back coach and the offensive line coach trying to figure out a way to consistently get this thing going in the right direction. Okay, Moulton, I just I, you, you're wrong about this. They one guy averaged 2.6 yards today. Pierce 
The other guys average 4.8. They run behind the same line. No, no, from, from play to play, it's not the same line. And look, Damian Pierce took two losses in this game at the goal line because the offensive line was getting crushed. It wasn't just the offensive line. Uh, got, tight ends were missing stuff. I mean, there was multiple misses there. Huh. And, Howard, and this, got, Howard got beat a couple of times today, too. Um, I, I do remember that. And, you know, I, in, in terms of personnel, yeah, it's, it's it's the same line. You know, today it was the same line, not moving guys in and out, but, you know, the tight ends do matter. Uh, the look, the pre-snap look does matter. I thought Andre Ware brought up a really good point. And, you know, this is maybe something to consider in evaluating everything offensively for the Texans, but maybe particularly offensive line. Maybe Stroud's getting out of the huddle a little too quickly and giving the defense too much of an opportunity to see what the offense is doing and how it's lining up in some instances. I think that could have something to do with it as well. Um I mean, if you're going to break the huddle, get to the line, ask your lineman to be down on a three-point stance for, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 seconds versus, you know, maybe just five or six, that's time for the defense to load up, to make changes, to make calls, and to, to figure out what a guy's doing. Look at tells. Look at a running back's eyes. Look at a running back's feet. Are they leaning one way? Is a lineman leaning one way? There's all these little tiny details that I think the Texans are going to now have a week to – to observe and, and see if they can figure out a trend or something that they're doing at tell. All right, man. It's been too long a day for you. Uh, Sean has been working most of this stuff and I got to get him home because I think he wants to see his Astros play a little bit tonight. Yes. So w- we want to get out of here, um, but we will continue this discussion midweek as we always do talking Texans, uh, talking everything going on in Houston sports. So, Stay tuned for that. We appreciate everybody that took the time to comment and all you people that are watching it, make sure to tell your friends about us as well, as always. But uh, want to wish uh, everybody good rest of the weekend and a, how about an Astros win at the end of the weekend? Let's finish it off with one of those babies. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's do it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.